0: You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen.
1: I'm Wade Bearden, and I'm Kevin McClendon, and we're back after taking a week off. I know, Wade, that you spent it on vacation. I spent it absorbing all of the powers of my magical siblings, so that's why I'm glowing right now and might start speaking in a totally different language halfway through the <laughs> Well, you know, Kevin, I was actually in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I was using the
0: mineral water around me to protect my body from evil Dark creatures. I, I wasn't going to be turned into stone this time.
1: Oh, I'm looking forward to seeing the vacation slideshow of that one. <laughs> Listeners, today we review the new
0: fantasy adventure on Disney+, Plus, Raya and the Last Dragon,
1: directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez Estrada. So jump on your pillbug steed and make sure to bring your treasure maps to the world-saving magical artifacts, because it's going to be an adventure on episode 283 of Seeing and Believing. Did you just hit me with the shrimp tail? When were you gonna tell us she was Sisu? Uh, well, technically you always knew she was Sisu. Seriously?
0: Why are you here, Divine Water Dragon?
1: In that obvious, big guy? My girl Ryan and I are gonna fix the world, bring everyone back. You're gonna bring everyone back? I wanna help. <sighs> I'm sorry, I, I can't let you do that. It's too dangerous. You're not the only one who
0: lost family to the druid. Please, let me help you. I
1: need to I too wish to join this fellowship of but
0: particularly. Yes, listeners, we are here with episode 283 of Seeing and Believing. Kevin, it is good to be back, and I come bearing a... Bearing a gift <laughs> for some of our listeners, uh, I'm excited to share this little little nugget of information with them.
1: Is it going to be a vial of that healing uh, hot springs <laughs> water that you were you were talking about? Because that seems yeah, that seems pretty sweet. Uh, pretty. Seems worth seems like it'd be worth something that you could buy for five dollars.
0: Well, you know, Al Capone used to go to hot springs, and I watched the movie. <laughs> we reviewed the. The Capone movie, Josh Trank's movie, and it didn't end well for Capone, so I take it the water is limited in terms of its healing powers, but... um. No, you know, uh, last year, uh, a couple of journalists reached out to me and interviewed me for a book that they were writing about the movie-going experience, Cody Benjamin and Chris Hayes, and they recently published a book called Why We Need the Movies, Especially in a Post-Pandemic World of Screens, Streams and smartphones, and they want to give away some copies to our listeners. So I'm really excited to do that. And we actually want to pull from our Patreon campaign and give this away to some of our patrons. So if you are a patron of Seeing and Believing, we're going to enter you into a drawing for this book. And I'm not sure how many people will get it. It, it might end up being a lot of the patrons get it. Uh, but if you are not a patron of Seeing and Believing, go ahead and hop on over there and you can get this book. Let me give you kind of a, a quick blurb. The book, uh, the... Synopsis is essentially this, so for over a hundred years, movie theaters have served up laughs, screams, tears, and gasps. They've endured world wars and stock market crashes, box office bombs, and competing entertainment. But what about a global pandemic? When COVID-19 disrupted life in 2020, thousands of screens were forced to go dark. In this book, Why We Need Movies to Journalists Raised in the Age of Screens, Streams, and Smartphones, explore these questions and a whole lot more. And Kevin, I did I didn't make it into the book. <laughs> uh, there are a couple of uh, comments that i made that are in there, and so that was kind of cool. Uh, even if they weren't, though, this is a really uh, good work, and I would encourage our listeners to check it out. If you're not a Patreon supporter, go on over to Seeing and Believing. You can find us patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. Become a patron. And be entered in the drawing for this very special book.
1: Yeah, it seems like a, a good chance to you know both uh, give us a little bit of support and also get your hands on what sounds like a really interesting, interesting book. Like I, I've got my own opinions about maybe where the theatrical experience is going and maybe where movie theaters as a business are going. But it's not like I've done any you know journalistic due diligence into the question. I just have sort of like. Pontificate. So I'm really interested to see, you know, some actual data, some actual investigation into the question. It sounds like it would be really enlightening.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely is. And it definitely gets you thinking about where we might be going and then our responsibility uh, to movie theaters. Of course, once it is safe for people to go back. And so, yeah, I, I do appreciate this book. We're going to hop into our review, listeners, now to Raya and the Last Dragon. This film recently debuted on Disney+. Plus. It's one of those... Uh, I guess you could say premium offerings, you do have to rent this movie to watch it today, though it will be available for all here in the next couple of months. Let me give you a quick synopsis of the film. In a realm known as Kumandra, no, in a realm known as Kumandra, a reimagined earth inhabited by an ancient civilization, a warrior named Raya is determined to find the last dragon in hopes of bringing all of the realms in their world back together. The main character, Raya, is voiced by Kelly Marie Tran. We also have a couple of other really great characters voiced by Aquafina, Isaac Wang, and Jemma Chan. Kevin, this is another release from the same team that brought us Frozen, Frozen 2, and Zootopia. I have mixed emotions about those films, but I want to get your opinion. Just what do you think of this new animated feature from Walt Disney Pictures? Is it a winner? Is it a new classic? Or is something that maybe you'll probably forget here in the next couple of weeks?
1: Well, I I will say that... Compared to Frozen and Zootopia, those other movies you mentioned, I think that Raya and the Last Dragon is far and away the most visually splendid of all of them. Just the the colors on display here and the way that the, the animators are able to capture such a variety of textures in a way that just looks so great uh like the there's there's a lot of water in this picture because the the last dragon in this movie sisu that's uh aquafina's character is kind of her power revolves around water and so water figures really prominently into the visuals here and it just looks utterly fantastic the the reflectiveness of it the the way that it kind of moves across surfaces the way that characters go in and out of it it just this this is a gorgeous gorgeous movie and it's that's not something that I find myself saying as much about I guess the the latest stream of Disney animated movies have been you know they've been visually attractive but there haven't been a whole lot there that's been made me sit up and take notes other than being maybe a little bit appreciative of the technical um skill on display i guess that the the way that toy story 4 just kind of looks more realistic than toy story 1 does just in terms of the advances in technology i think there's some real aesthetic bright spots here in raya and the last dragon that i really want to commend I think probably my praise for it is going to stop there because there's not really much else that I liked about this movie. But I figured I'd start off with with the good stuff and at least praise the praise the the visuals because yeah, you know, at least those are on point and very very good. Yeah,
0: well, it's what we call the sandwich method. You you praise a film. Uh, despairs the film, and then you kind of bring in a little more praise at the end. Uh, I- oh, is, is that what it's called,
1: the sandwich? I, I don't know, Wade. I feel like it might be, my sandwich might end up being kind of like a slice of bread and then everything underneath it is just going to kind of be smooshed onto the table. I don't know. It's I don't know It's going if it's going to be a very pretty sandwich, if you can even okay. call it that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I...
0: <laughs> the frozen films have kind of grown on me because I think the world that they create is, is kind of fun. I'm not a huge fan of the stories themselves. I thought Zootopia was, was clever and, uh, and pretty, pretty funny, if not great. <sighs> Raya and the last dragon is a movie that I didn't necessarily feel all too invested in. Uh, Particularly as it relates to the story. I'm, I'm with you that the visuals here are just wonderful. And I'll, I'll point out one aspect in particular. The way that water is animated in, in this movie is probably better than I've seen it in any other film. Water plays a huge role in the plot and here it feels alive and it feels wild and there's there's texture to it, and you think about the way water was viewed uh, in ancient times as sort of this ominous force. Well, here it's the only force really protecting these characters from this ghastly beast, this monster, this darkness. And you get the sense that it is their protector, but they're they're also uh, they're also trapped by it. They're in a difficult situation, and, and I think I think the animation. Really adds to that story. Uh, I like some of the characters. I'll kind of go into some of the characters. I like the voice work, but I just didn't really, I don't know. I didn't really care for the story and what it was trying to say. And I I think, I think it does make some, some good points, but it, it seems like, and I had this problem with Frozen too. You have a movie that Seems to want to say something important, but lacks any sort of emotional resonance with me. And is that a personal thing? I don't know. Maybe. Um, but you walk away feeling that the film kind of swung and didn't, didn't, didn't make the hit that it wanted to make. Uh, so th- those are kind of my thoughts in a nutshell about Raya.
1: Yeah. The okay. So the resonance is maybe a good place to start when you're talking about the the themes that this movie is dealing with because i i think i i I agree with you that it's not so much i guess that the the themes don't resonate with me it's just that they are very they're very flat and they're sketched out very obviously so the the overall theme of of this film uh, revolves around trust the uh, nations in this fantasy land uh, that we ha- are acquainted with at the beginning of the film—they uh, they used to be united, kind of as this this one uh, harmonious kingdom called Kumandra, uh, until this great threat by the by these evil creatures. I, I don't know exactly what they are. They're they're just kind of this evil force called the Drune and the dragons. Uh, rescue humanity from these evil beings, and in doing so, they they sacrifice themselves and they go away. And in so doing, with the dragons gone, humanity kind of splinters into various nation states, and they are constantly at each other's throats to the point where they don't they don't trust each other enough in order to come together under one banner and really work together for the common good. Which you know that's that's kind of interesting, especially in 2021 after you know uh, the the last few years of just complete political division in this country it's it's a theme that has the potential to be resonant i guess i think the problem is with the screenplay is just so obvious about like everything is about trust here it's every line of dialogue feels like it is talking about the main characters trust issues, about how everyone needs to trust each other, about how you have to extend trust before you receive trust. It's all trust all the time, and it's it's not so much that I think that it's uh, wrong-headed. It's just trying to get emotionally involved, and that would be like trying to get em- emotionally involved in a coloring book. It's not really—it's just so two-dimensional. There's not really any subtlety or— or elegance there. And it's just, it's really hard to get involved with it where, when it's just, everything is so simplistic and on the nose, you know, this being a children's movie, you can't be, you know, too overly sophisticated. You have to make sure that you're getting it across to maybe younger viewers. But I think there might come a point where you cross over a line between making things accessible two kids, and just dumbing everything down. I think there's a distinction there that Raya and the Last Dragon falls on the wrong side of.
0: Yeah, well, no, and you make a good point. The ideas are good. Uh, Trust, unite. Um, but, But there's nothing really to hang on to other than, I don't know, your typical Saturday morning cartoon fare. And I also felt like the movie... I felt like the movie took a great setting and took potentially good scenes and tried to just I don't know if you could say infuse them with artificial conflict uh while at the same time not allowing these scenes breathe. It was as if we were just kind of jumping from place to place and you say, okay, these characters don't get along. We told you that you should know. And one scene in particular is when uh, one character confronts Raya in front of this city fortress and Raya comes out and I got this sort of almost Kurosawa vibe that, okay, we, we're going to get a samurai style showdown and then possibly a fight and Raya comes out and immediately these characters just kind of start yelling and fighting and and all that. And I felt like the movie just wastes opportunities to deepen and enrich uh, enrich these, these scenes. And as a result, you know, it gets, and it's kind of like the, 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 the MCU at the end where everybody just kind of starts hitting each other. It's, it's, it just, okay. Yeah. It's kind of boring. Uh, and that's how I felt throughout the movie. We, we started to get these scenes and there's this potential. And then, uh, the movie jumps forward and doesn't really, Live in in those moments and as a result uh yeah i think i think maybe maybe dumbing down the conflict dumbing down the script at the very least not living up to the story's potential
1: well it's all it's all very fast-paced and you're right that because we the the movie literally uh sets up the the quest that Raya has to go on. She has to go to each of the five nation states, uh, in their world and retrieve a piece of this shattered artifact that will supposedly, when it's put back together, will banish the evil forces that have, uh, had a resurgence, uh, since, uh, since Raya was a child. And that's kind of the basic template. The problem is like going from going to five different destinations, in a mm-hmm. you know a ninety minute movie is just that it's a lot of uh, plot business to get to, and that doesn't leave a whole lot of time for us to connect with with the supporting characters. It's it feels like it's kind of the Raya and Sisu show, and then there's supporting characters who kind of you know get a quip every now and then, but they aren't really. People and it's difficult to feel totally involved in them as characters, and by extension, the other people in the world it just kind of feels like okay, the the uh, citizens of the Fang Country are kind of you know a little bit devious. The citizens of the Spine Country are kind of these northern barbarian types, and they all just feel very stereotyped. And again, it's it's the line between keeping things kind of kind of simple and stylized for purposes of a a family movie and making things just flat and un- uninteresting. And again, I think Raya falls on the wrong side of that. And I think it's just I don't know, it just feels like not a whole lot of care was lavished on on the actual nuts and bolts of the of the screenplay, it it feels like these characters are kind of, they're transplants from the 21st century, and they're but they're in a fantasy world, and those two things, you know, really jar with each other in 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 unproductive ways. I think I I knew I was in trouble when the the uh, Raya and kind of her nemesis Namari are at first they're kind of bonding as children. And they're talking about dragons, and one of them says, oh, I'm a total dragon nerd. And that's kind of the point where you want to pause the movie and say, wait a minute, every country is named after dragon body parts, and you revere the dragons as demigods, and you are devoting your entire life to safeguarding these dragon-related artifacts. I kind of feel like saying you're a dragon nerd doesn't really it doesn't mean anything. It's just kind of a <laughs> a pithy kind of jokey joke that you know you can kind of ping off of as a 21st century viewer, but as world building, it just kind of it makes everything feel very thin and underdeveloped.
0: Mm-hmm. And and it really is a shame. I like Aquafina as Sisu here. Uh, I want a little more development. I want to learn a little bit more about her personality and how she relates to her backstory and her siblings as a dragon, as a character. And we get a couple of those moments where she talks about, oh man, being 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 people is hard. You know, being a person is not easy. We get this sort of fun ninja baby. And, and I feel like with this movie, you had some individuals who were like, okay, let's come up with character ideas. Let's develop some characters. And they came up with some really good ideas. There's this sort of motley crew that's put together. And these characters are a lot of fun, but they don't really progress further than their little quips and the little fun ticks and personalities that they're given. They're just kind of there and they're, they're the humor and that's it. And you'll notice in, in almost every Disney movie, there's always this, creature, uh, a puppy, or an animal, uh, that's just the comedic relief that goes along with the character. And I felt like all of these individuals were that in human form. These individuals that, that don't really have a ton to do except add a little bit of humor and maybe push the plot along in some you know in a few ways, uh, and and that's kind of sad because they're a lot of fun and and I'll go back to to what I did like about the movie. The visuals are are really interesting. They're fascinating. I talked about the water. We could talk about this sort of desert apocalyptic world that we see at the beginning, which feels like Monument Valley and Radiator Springs from the Cars films. We get these cities that are surrounded by water. I mean, it really is. A beautiful movie to look at, which kept me engaged even though I, I, you know, I wasn't drawn in by the story.
1: Yeah, the visuals and even the soundtrack. Uh, I think James Newton Howard did the the music here, and it is quite good. There's there are many moments throughout the film where the score and the visuals are are really communicating to you. This is something, you know, this is something important. This is something emotional. This is something that really uh, requires uh, some sort of strong emotional reaction from the audience. And it's easy to get swept up in those moments until you kind of, you know, one of the characters opens their mouth to say something, or you kind of stop and think, well, wait a minute, why are they fighting again? Why is why is one character pointing a crossbow at the dragon who is literally the savior of the world? Like why why is all this happening? And as soon as that little bit of doubt sneaks in, it the all of those beautiful surface elements kind of just fall fall apart. They they fall limp, which it, it it's a shame that so much wonderful work from, from the artists and, and the animators And all of that just kind of, it it feels like it's almost wasted on this really half-baked screenplay.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's there's a scene at the end where a character is being turned into stone, which is a fascinating, that, that whole section in the choices those characters make, I think are really interesting. But a character is turning into stone and you almost you almost see that character's sort of spirit begin to float away and there's it's just sort of this really fascinating image of well what what comes after this world where are those characters where might they be going and what's happening with with their souls uh, the movie doesn't really address that but the visuals provide such rich texture that you begin to think about some of those ideas. Okay, maybe there's something kind of more. Maybe there is this sort of deeper magic that they're talking about. This deeper reality. Maybe that is real. And so we get flashes of that, which uh, you know I, I I do appreciate, even if um, most of the other act- aspects of the film uh, disappointed me.
1: Yeah, it, it would have been nice to have seen the. Film, spend more time on that and and less time on you know the the characters kind of trading trading quips back and forth on a boat like there's there are ways to i guess build out the setting that could have both let us in on some of these mysteries that you're talking about about, you know, what what is the nature of the soul in this fantasy world? what What is the significance of some of the imagery we see in the architecture of these various nations? Uh, and how do the characters exist in this world? and how does it kind of affect them as people and affect their outlook? And it, it's again, just it feels like all of that was kind of left on the table rather than um the, Directors and screenwriters really making an effort to to pick them up and really pick up that ball and run with it somewhere and yeah instead just feels like well you know it was nice to look at but to answer your question uh, that kicked off this entire discussion I don't think I'm going to be thinking about Raya. For very long after we record this episode. <laughs> well, if our
0: listeners could hear the outtakes from this episode and how many names of characters that I got wrong, um, then maybe, maybe that would speak for itself on its own. Listeners, that is our review of Raya and the Last Dragon. It's currently streaming to rent. I guess that's the best way to say it on Disney Plus, and in a few months it'll be available for all Disney Plus subscribers. If you've seen the movie, let us know. Are we just a couple of dudes being too hard on an animated picture? We would love to hear your thoughts. Let us know. And tweet us at CBelief Pod, You can also email us, seeing and believing, C A P C at Gmail.com. We have reached the end of the episode. At this point, we take an opportunity to recommend something from the world of film and or TV to you, our listeners. Kevin, what would you like to recommend this week?
1: Uh, well, so I was I was thinking about how much the the dialogue uh, annoyed me in Raya and the Last Dragon, <laughs> and it, it made me think about uh, twenty ten the twenty ten film directed by Sylvain Chomet, The Illusionist. And this is actually a film that grew out of some notes that the great Jacques Tati actually uh, uh, made about a film that he wanted to make. He never got around to it. uh, Sylvain Chomet actually took that basic concept and flushed it out into an animated feature. It's about a a French magician and illusionist. He's uh, traveling around Europe, and he meets a, a young woman and kind of takes her under his wing. She's kind of, you know, lost. She doesn't really have anybody in the world. And he, you know, takes takes her under his wing and they kind of form this father-daughter relationship where he is using his uh, his magician skills, his, his illusionist skills to kind of, you know, make her world a little bit brighter and maintain a little bit of magic in the world for her, even though he personally knows that it's all, you know, hocus pocus, it's all stagecraft. And it's just a tremendously touching story and it's done almost entirely without dialogue. It's almost like a a silent picture in a lot of ways, which, you know, again, that has Tati's fingerprints all over it. And it's just tremendously touching. The animation is wonderful. It's one of the last uh, films that you you'll see from the decade that was actually hand animated, you know, there, there are precious few studios still doing that kind of work. So when something like the illusions comes along, uh, I I definitely want to give it a plug when it's, when it's great. And this movie is definitely great.
0: Okay. Yeah. I need to check it out. I've heard so many good things about it. And uh, I take it. You're not talking about the Edward Norton magician movie. That came I out. Am not. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, remember when it came out around the time the Prestige came out, and everybody was comparing them, and it's like they, they're very different, with the exception yeah. of magicians at the center.
1: <laughs> it, it's it's one of those weird things that happens every now and then in, in the movie business where two just extremely similar movies just mm-hmm. kind of happen to come out close to each other, and you're just like, oh, is this is this a trend? Are we now going to get the this whole flood of? Uh, of magicians trying to outsmart each other and and obsession and all those things is that going to be kind of like the new the new uh, Star Wars like the new science fiction uh, action movie like is that going to be the next thing and uh, it did not happen in this particular case <laughs> maybe because the prestige was great and the illusionist was. Well, anyway,
0: uh, what do you have to recommend to us this week? Well, I was going to add to that. Remember when Armageddon and Deep Impact came out and we're like, well, uh, like, are we all going to die from a meteorite or whatever? Uh, <laughs> it's, it just, it happens that way. Uh, so my recommendation this week is actually a book, and I don't know if I've talked about this before. It's a book that I enjoy. It's from Edwin Catmull, and he wrote a few years back, Creativity, Inc., He is the co-founder of Pixar. He's now the president of Walt Disney Animation Studios. So there's this connection between Raya and him. And in Creativity Inc., he offers a a number of good recommendations for how to foster creativity in the workplace. So for anybody who's looking to grow as a leader or a boss, uh, this is a book with some, I think, some pretty good nuggets. I also enjoyed it because he tells a number of stories about Pixar in some of the early days, as well as uh, The Princess and the Frog, uh, one of the first films that he helped to create when he joined Walt Disney Animation Studios. And one of my favorite stories is when They almost deleted a majority of Toy Story 2 while it was in production. And it was saved because somebody had made a backup because they needed to work at home to take care of their daughter, I don't know, a few days a week. And uh, you get some fun little stories that take you behind the curtain of... Pixar and of course Walt Disney Animation Studios, and I like all that type of stuff. Uh, in fact, I I enjoy some of the behind the scenes stuff almost more than the films themselves. But it's uh, pretty interesting. Uh, so, Creativity Inc. by Edwin Catmull.
1: Man, I just just hearing that story about almost yeah, accidentally deleting the entire movie <laughs> just by mistake it's just it's giving me sympathy sympathy chills. Like, oh no. <laughs> I can imagine being in that <laughs> position. How awful that would be! It just, oh. but that that sounds like uh, quite a story. In you know uh, a book that's probably full of really illustrious, <laughs> like
0: yeah, yeah. No, it's it's funny, and I'm also. I'm also really interested in reading people talk about Steve Jobs and working with Steve Jobs. He's such a fascinating character and oftentimes an infuriating character, but uh, Catmill talks about his relationship with Steve Jobs and Steve Jobs' fingerprints on, on Pixar, too. So I, I enjoy all of that. Uh, listeners, that is the end of our episode once again. Support us on Patreon, and we're going to enter you into that drawing for Cody Benjamin and Chris Hayes' book, Why We Need the Movies, especially in a post-pandemic world of screens, streams, and smartphones. You can also pick that book up on Amazon if you want to get it now. Also, make sure to rate and review our podcast. We really do appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clawson, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. My co-host is Kevin McLennathan, And until next time, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later.
1: You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show on iTunes, and check out our other shows at christandpopculturecom network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0.